0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Startup Us in the Middle East. Today we have Scott over here. He's the Managing Director of Creation Business Consultants. He's an expert in setting up businesses in the UAE. So today we have him here to uh, you know, alleviate some of your doubts about what kind of business setup you need for your startup or your new venture. And uh, a little bit, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the different kinds of businesses you can set up, the free zone, the, the mainland businesses, and uh, and generally uh, talk about uh, the different ways that you can set up a company in Dubai yeah. or in the UAE. Yeah.
1: Sure. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. Great to be here.
0: All
1: Great. Right, awesome. So we always start a little bit with uh, your background. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Yeah.
2: So I I came out to Dubai in 2008. Um, I'm a CPA accountant. I did that back in Australia. Okay. okay. I have a couple of other degrees, and then I did my MBA out here as well. Okay. okay. Um, I've been uh, working for a number of large blue chips and then uh, I've had my own company since the start of last year and we help companies that are looking to set up and grow um, in the UAE and around the GCC okay that's awesome
0: so you've been working with uh, other startups as well as well as large companies we've
2: right? we've <laughs> had many a startup uh, that we've assisted yes anywhere from sort of the one one person starting their own business quitting their job okay. all the way through to a couple of guys getting together with a great idea um and putting that together okay
0: okay awesome uh one of the reasons i wanted to have scott here is because uh, he's independent so he's not affiliated with any particular free zone or or any he's uh, so, not going to try so he's got clouds. a pretty unbiased uh, <laughs> opinion yeah uh, which is good so um, so let's just uh, get into it uh, I think a lot of people want to know when it comes to business formation the difference between setting up in a free zone and setting up the by mainland what that what is the main difference between that and, and how it works mm-hmm. okay so th- predominantly the
2: the big difference between the two is the ownership so if you're in a free zone you can own your company 100% on mm-hmm. your own which mm-hmm. is fantastic if you are in a mainland um, jurisdiction then often you will need a local partner to hold 51% of the shares mm-hmm. and that does scare a lot of people looking at starting a new business mm-hmm. um a lot of people are a little bit wary about having a local partner that they don't know that they're knowns more than half of their business mm-hmm. so that's definitely one consideration then That's the sort of first consideration. And then we have a host of other things that we start looking at as to what people should be considering Mm -hmm. when they're looking at choosing. Mm -hmm. So, for instance what company structure is right for you today may not be the one that's right for you in six months 12 months two years mm-hmm. and okay. the cost of changing that or starting again is often astronomical so oh, it's really? better to maybe go that little bit extra at the moment and get it right than do a stopgap for the moment and then have to spend money again in you know not too long away mm-hmm. um so it, it's a it's a balancing act
1: But um, I see a lot of companies or a lot of startups wanting to set up in a free zone because uh, it could be related to their industry. um, And there's a lot of uh, commitment from the free zone itself. So, for example, uh, Media City is a free zone, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of advertising agencies and media companies set up because, one, they want to be close to their peers. And secondly, Media City free zone will do a lot of events that help that community help that industry absolutely so i think that that's something the same with studio city the same with uh in five uh as well so um do you do you see a lot of startups also gravitating towards the free zone model because of things like that or that's secondary. not so
2: much i think that's normally a secondary consideration obviously price is one of the major factors that Mm -hmm. people look at Mm -hmm. um and location Mm. So, if someone wants a flexi-desk, then obviously location is not really a big issue. Mm. But one of the questions we ask when we're um, talking to people about setting their company up is, tell me about today, but tell me about six months, 12 months time. Mm. Will you guys need an office? Will you have staff? Yeah. Um, you know, will your staff need to be close to the office? Mm. It's it's fine to have an office in Fujira, but your staff may not commute to Fujira. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you need a, an office, then maybe a Dubai location
0: is what you need. Mm. So it's another factor that we have to take into account. Okay. Right. Mm.
3: Okay.
0: So, um, uh, okay, apart from the 51% the ownership um, of the free zone, what is the, the main difference between a free zone. Why is it called a free zone? Um it, well it's a free trade
2: zone. So in essence it's meant to be used for only trading inside the free zone and outside of the UAE. Okay. So okay. so for instance if you are a trading company selling goods, you can't sell goods into the mainland.
1: So if you're in the Javza free zone you can only sell to people in Javza. That's correct. And outside of UAE.
2: Correct. So that's why those Ports are often used for a consolidation hub for okay. distribution around the region. For instance, okay, okay. Now, people, some people do some tricky things to do sales inside the free zone, and then get an onshore company to clear the goods once okay. the goods have changed. Um, yeah,
1: they have two licenses. Yeah,
2: it, there's a few ways to do it, but the, the general rule that we try and explain to people is that free zones are only meant to trade inside the free zone and outside of the uae mm. okay. now that gets a little bit gray in certain areas um, okay as you can see the all of the companies in say media city for instance yeah mm-hmm. um these guys they're obviously trading with everyone around yeah um mm-hmm. but they're not onshore they're free zones oh, okay. so some people do get a little
0: confused with the distinction yeah, yeah that's what my question is as well like a company in JLT for example this is also considered a free zone right mm-hmm. that's true so um but i see all kinds of companies set up over there trading especially consultancy or mm-hmm. there's agency, a lot of consultants there digital, for sure yeah yeah yeah. Sure. So
2: the the commercial companies law that governs companies um, across the UAE mm-hmm. says that you must be appropriately licensed to trade in the mainland. Mm-hmm. So that means that you need a mainland license. Okay. okay. And I think with the implementation of VAT, we're going to see this more and more enforced. Okay. Because okay. previously there were no reporting requirements for onshore companies. Mm-hmm. and those in the free zone only had to lodge maybe annual audited accounts, but just with their free zone. Okay. But finally now we've got an overarching uh, legislation that's the VAT um, mm. returns mm-hmm. and people need to report where they're earning their income. So if you're mm. a free zone in Fujairah and you're selling services into Dubai, you actually need to report your sales via Emirate. So mm. it's a bit hard to say, I'm only trading in Fujairah and outside of the UAE mm. if you suddenly give a report saying, oh, and I earn this money in Dubai. Yeah, right. So okay. I think that the data um, sort of matching will slowly come into effect. And this will uh, probably um, bring to light a few more people that are trading from free zones into the mainland.
1: Okay, so it, it gets a little bit tricky, I guess, if you want to be an entrepreneur and start your new venture here. Because eventually, first of all, you may set up in a free zone and you won't really work with people only in that free zone. I think that that's actually very rare that that happens. So <laughs> so you need to get a mainland license because, uh, because of VAT and all of that. So how does it work? Have you suggested to startups to get a local sponsor? How does it work with equity distribution, all of that? Okay,
2: so ordinarily, if a company is looking at going the mainland path, mm. uh, some companies provide a service called a corporate nominee. So they basically have a 100% Emirati-owned company that will hold the 51% of shares in trust for the 49% minority shareholder. So it's a safe way to actually so have a mainland company. So it's not person, it's
1: an Emirati company. Correct. Okay. Yeah. okay. And then
2: it's often... Uh, so, for instance, we do this service, and I'm the general manager on that company. Mm-hmm. So okay. anyone who's the minority shareholder, the 49%, just needs to deal with me, and we're there to help. So it's okay. part of our business is to assist people there. Okay. Um, it's not cause any issues, obviously. We want
0: that business to thrive. Is All right. Sorry. so. So things like... Um, uh, you know, uh, having a single Emirati owner who might, uh, you, you know, an inheritance of the business or something like that won't come into play over here because it's owned by a, another corporation. That's
2: correct. Not, when there's a yeah. company um, interposed there, there's no issues with that. Now, mm. some people do use an Emirati um, individual. individual yeah. Mm. yeah, absolutely. And it's often cheaper that way. Okay. But then you do have inheritance issues that people need to examine. So it depends on your, your budget and your risk profile. So, okay. if
1: it's an Emirati company, do they have any say in the way the business runs?
2: No. So, the, the Emirati person in that uh, investment company would just be a shareholder. So okay. that's why I. But I, not
1: I, on the board. Correct. No so governance. Uh, Correct, issues. so okay.
2: for the company we use uh, I'm the general manager on there So I have all the powers under the Memorandum of Association So I'm the one okay. that makes the decisions on behalf of the company And I bind the company And I you have
1: a POA as well? You have a power of fraternity? Correct, a, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the way it works Okay. Yeah. Okay. But right.
2: then um, I have a very good working relationship With the gentleman that um, is the shareholder okay. So if I ever need any help with anything He's always there to help He's a, a great guy
1: So with the 49% that the startup is left with how do they do their share evaluation? Do they consider it at 49% or how does it work?
2: No, they would um, consider 100% because of control. So okay, whilst fine. they may not have ownership, if you're looking at, say, accounting standards, you would say that you control that 51% by virtue of agreements that we have in place. Okay. So, you know, since they have 100% control of the assets, so 100% ownership.
1: And what happens?
0: So, so just to clarify on that, so basically it's like even though... Uh, somebody else owns 51% because you have 100% controlling interest in the company so essentially your 49 shares are worth 100% of the shares.
2: In essence yes you control the other 51 so you get 100% of the profits you have 100% of management control of that entity Mm -hmm. Um, right all we're there is just to assist the, uh, the, the, the operation of the business so that okay. you're legally compliant.
0: So if I wanted to, like for example, sell part of my shares to yeah. uh, another individual or to a venture company, then uh, I could distribute my 49% into like 100 shares and and create a share pool that Completely
2: way. Completely up to you. you. You have control of the company, you do as you please. So
1: okay. uh, with this setup of 49% and 51% with the trustee, uh, have you seen startups going and raising money, selling shares? Or you can imagine it would be a bit complicated, no? Yeah, it can be. And
2: ordinarily, we don't see startups raising funds through that type of structure. What you would normally have is the minority shareholder, the 49%, would often be uh, another company, maybe an SPC or an SPV, maybe an ADGM company. I don't know what those things are. Okay, so an SPC (laughs) is a special purpose company and an SPV is a special purpose vehicle. So they're companies that are set up for a very specific purpose. Okay. So in the memorandum of that company, if you ever see something that says SPC or SPV, then that company has a single purpose. So, for instance, one company might be set up for financing an aircraft for one transaction. Okay. But often in this instance, the company will be set up for an investment purpose to invest in an onshore company.
3: Okay. I'm getting so, confused right now. Okay. so <laughs> okay. Imagine,
2: okay. imagine the 49% instead of a person yeah. is actually one other company. Okay. Okay. okay? So, when you're looking at raising funds, you raise funds in that company. Okay. That then contributes to your 49%. Okay. Okay. so there is no real sense?
1: selling of shares you're just rea- not in you're the just
2: 49 the yeah. 49% stays constant because that way you don't have to keep changing your mainland documentation mm-hmm. okay it's much cheaper to change the free zone documentation and you can issue other shares and do different yeah. classes of shares do all sorts of fancy things that you need when you're looking at raising investment
1: but that then brings me back to my point mm-hmm. of why would people get a mainland license because a startup is not an SPC or an SPV or a what the third act. The main,
2: was. the mainland <laughs> license, is mostly because you're looking at trading inside the UAE, and generally, okay. in essence, most people are trading in Dubai. You're
1: right. Okay, so if I'm a tech startup that mm-hmm. wants to uh, set up a business in Dubai, mm-hmm. for example, um, my options are: I can get a Dubai free zone license, but I'm a tech startup, so I operate. In the Dubai in a Dubai free zone as well as mainland Dubai. Yeah? Okay. So that's my my option is I'll get I can get a free zone licence but also kind of trade in mainland because I'm an online platform.
2: Again, this is where it gets a little grey. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Ordinarily what you would say is if you are providing, say, an online platform, mm-hmm. most people are can make the argument that they're providing it from their free zone. Okay. Now I have seen in in the past some larger companies, they've done this to a uh, point past startup, and once they've become quite established in the industry, they are encouraged to get an onshore license that is similar to their um, activities that they're doing. Okay, okay, so they
1: have two licenses.
2: Eventually, yes. They basically almost use the free zone as an incubator, if you will. Mm-hmm. Once they get to a certain size, then they graduate to an onshore license. Once they can absorb the larger costs, to change
1: your...
2: Well, you can't change. So once you have a company, you're stuck with that company. Okay. So you can't decide to set a free zone up today and then move your free zone to an onshore. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. You have
1: to get the free zone plus the correct. You have to get two licenses. Yes. And you have to pay for both license renewals every year.
2: So (laughs) it can be costly. Yeah, but uh,
0: but I'm sure like once you reach that stage of growth. Then I mean that's why. And I think
2: that's the point too. Once yeah. you get to that that stage, mm-hmm. um, you you probably should be able to afford it, or mm, perhaps it's not for you. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: so I'm curious. With the larger startups that we know of that have been successful, for example, with Kareem, what kind of license do they have?
2: Um, nowadays, know? they would have an onshore license for sure, because okay. they were purchased by Uber. So um, yeah. I would imagine uh, they have an onca- on on onshore sort of taxi license or something along these okay. lines that have rta approved yeah
0: i'm pretty sure that's what happened because i i know that they were they started as a free zone and then eventually i think they were required by the rta to um you know uh get some kind of onshore license i pretty there's sure. been
2: a few i guess well known names in the uae that have started as free zones okay. and then eventually once they've got to a size where they are in the public eye quite a bit mm. people have said look realistically you are trading more than just in your free zone now so it's time to actually get a mainland license too
1: mm. okay so if a startup is coming to you for advice uh if a startup is a client of yours would you recommend to them to get to a free zone license get a free zone license to keep costs low to um, have 100% ownership and then eventually when they get to scale then get a mainland license is that what you would recommend
2: Potentially, but again, there's a number of factors. So dependent absolutely. So, for instance, um, we're talking to one company from uh, the UK at the moment that's looking at a startup venture here, and they're a startup in the UK, Mm -hmm. but they are already doing quite well. They're in the tech space. Okay. Now, the issue they have is they are contracting with the government. Mm. Ordinarily, the government says, if you want to contract with us, you actually need an onshore license because you need to provide your Chamber of Commerce registration Mm. to be able to contract. Mm. And in the past, we've had a client who was registered in Media City Mm. who had for about 18 months been contracting with both Abu Dhabi government and Dubai government. Mm. And eventually uh, they were a free zone and eventually both governments said, do you know what, guys, this is probably long enough now. You really should be an onshore company. Mm -hmm. So they were having to look at setting up on the mainland as well. Mm. So this other UK company that we're um, talking to at the moment, they need to think carefully about their structure because there's a chance that if they go the free zone route, maybe they're okay for a little while. But Mm -hmm. then maybe the government says, do you know what, maybe you guys, if you're having this contract with us, you should Mm -hmm. be an onshore company.
0: So do you think it's safer for a startup to go the onshore route from the beginning if they plan to scale up in the future, which I guess every business plans plans to. I think everyone plans to grow, yes.
2: I I think it's, again, it comes down to your, your available funds now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your access to cash for the moment and where you're planning on targeting to. Mm. So if you think that you will grow, you might have one client at the moment that's outside of the UAE and you think to yourself... I really want to turn that into growing my clients inside the UAE mm-hmm. if you want to be legally compliant then you really should head down that mainland path mm. um, now there's a number of um, you know uh, programs that assist people in setting these companies up mm-hmm. so there's some smaller licenses that are available I know um, uh, DED has got some pretty good programs for these sorts of things so mm-hmm. there are ways to help the startups from mm-hmm. a, the government perspective mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's a just dis- it's a choice that they need to make there's no easy answer to it you can't yeah. just base it on my budget is this so this is what i'll choose mm. okay you might have a free zone set up and then you want to sell to the government and you can't yeah, yeah. so that was a waste of money hmm. mm. yeah
1: um so a lot of startups, I think, opt to work with uh, N5 or uh, incubators Incubators, mm. um, because they take care of that. So they take care of the licensing and resources and education and things like that. Yeah. So, But even that, it's not cheap, right?
0: It's, uh, it's much cheaper than getting a free zone license. uh, That's what I've heard, I think.
2: There there are different sort of um, offers, I guess, from different um, incubators and the like. So some of them will uh, maybe offer a grant. Some okay. of them will offer maybe assistance. Someone will help you write a business plan. Mm. Yeah. Um, some of them may even, I, th- I believe, take equity for in yeah. return for assistance to a certain value. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. it really, it depends. Okay. Um, it depends what you need. Some guys have got a brilliant idea, but they don't know the first thing about writing a business plan. Mm. So, yeah. maybe money is not what that, that person needs. Maybe mm. they do need the professional assistance with a business plan to mm. get their business um, structured.
0: Sure. There's different kinds of incubators. As far as I know, some are purely like a desk space visa setup thing, mm-hmm. which is like they'll provide you a desk space and they'll uh, give you uh, a license to operate with and a visa, sure. like a residence visa. Uh, others are more like proper incubi- incubators that might invest mm. a small amount, like ten thousand, fifteen, thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Into your company, and in return, they'll take equity, mm. but they'll also provide you desk space and mm. visa stuff. Okay. And uh, and some are purely just we'll give you money yeah. and space, but yeah. no license or no visa that you, you need to start up. Okay. So like different ones yeah. have different setups. And that's okay. why it, it depends
2: on what the the need is of that startup. Mm. Uh, if they need uh, you know money, if they they really need funding to sort of grow something then, you know, you would choose one that's going to offer this. Mm, but mm. Um, a lot of the ones that I've seen, they have uh, good mentoring programs in, yeah. in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've mentored a few companies and uh, startups in the past. Okay. And a lot of the time... What I take for granted now, I, I look at these guys and I'm like, oh, yeah, that you're me 20 years ago, mm-hmm. yeah. um, trying to learn on how, how to run a business and how to mm-hmm. set things up and how to get accounting to work and right. how to build a business plan, do cash yeah. flow modeling. So having that professional experience, someone a bit older and, uh, you know, who's probably stepped wrong a few times, it, it helps.
1: So if someone's uh, visiting the UAE and decides there's an opportunity in this market, and is really not clear on what to do mainland versus free zone license and everything well firstly they can come to you but (laughs) 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 aside from that i think an incubator is just a safe route right for startups
2: i think it is but i think in a market like this too you will often get very different opinions on what's right for you Mm -hmm. so i think it's worth asking around for some different advice from different people Mm -hmm. and Check their professional backgrounds and see what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are probably a few too many salespeople giving company structuring advice in this region, mm-hmm. which unfortunately sees a lot of people not getting the best advice that they could.
0: Mm. So Yeah, I've uh, experienced that mm-hmm. in the past where, um, you know, you might approach a, a free zone, and say what your business idea is, and they'll say yes, it's 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 fine. You can um, do that. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, and then it might not be the the right thing.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people that uh, set these companies up are in the sales business, not the company structuring business. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you you say I want a free zone, they'll sell you a free zone. Mm-hmm. You want mainland, you got it. Okay. Whereas, is that right for you? You need a professional with experience and skills to be able to understand what I was saying, not mm. just today's solution, but tomorrow. One year, two years, um, and what will be right for you in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's a little bit tricky for, and it can be a bit hard when you get conflicting information. Mm. You look at the internet, and there's a lot of different conflicting information out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that my best advice would be ask around um, mm. and find. Some people that you're comfortable with, mm. that you think you can work with. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Uh, another thing I wanted to check with you is um, a lot of entrepreneurs start off as freelancers. Mm. So, um, so what do you, what do you advise for a freelancer? Like I'm an individual. I don't plan to, you know, incorporate and become like a big. Start up or raise money or anything like that yeah
1: maybe um, i have a freelancer license. i just
0: want to be a freelancer and you know do design work or something like that look i think a lot of people will set up a, a cheap
2: free zone company and then act as a freelancer anyway mm. so for there's a few reasons why i'm not really that keen on the freelancer licensing um One is when you have a company, you have limited liability. Mm. If you are a freelancer, you're like a sole trader. So you are personally liable for everything and anything that happens. Mm. Uh, You don't get a corporate bank account. So if you're giving someone an invoice and you have your personal name on it rather than a company name, you don't have as much credibility So if you're then trying to sort of grow your brand and your reputation, it's a lot easier to grow it with a company Mm. rather than a, a, a freelancer. Right, um, but okay. you know, sometimes it does come down to budget as well, and maybe that's the right choice for some people. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if anyone's looking at um, more than just a visa and a bank account, and looking for the future, I think that's probably um, a better way to go. Is look for maybe a cheaper free
0: zone that suits that free purpose. Zone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think free zone would be a pr- best option.
2: right? I, I think so. Well, yes. it is
1: also. I think the cheapest free zone is double the cost of a freelancer license, but I can understand. I mean. What do you do when you don't get paid? I think you don't have enough um, rights to like, you know, take your client to court or anything like that if you have a freelancer license. Well, you still
2: have um contract law on your side. Mm. Um you don't need to be a company to be able to enforce sort of rights under a contract. Okay. But as I say the legitimacy of your business, it looks far more legitimate having a a trade license that's a company rather than okay. an individual. that's been our experience yeah I agree I mean it's
0: a perceptual change right yeah absolutely yeah Yeah.
1: Um, so if I'm a startup I come to creation business consultants what are the questions that you ask me based on which you recommend the best solution for me so I know one of the things you said is uh, your long-term plan who are you looking to trade with so run us through what happens Okay. I, I have an excellent idea. It's going to make millions of dollars. I'm glad and to hear it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be very
2: happy, man. <laughs> Tell I me have about ten. This idea. I just have to
1: choose one. So, <laughs> so I have come to you. And uh, what are what are uh, some of the questions that? So you obviously,
2: have? one of the first things is what do you want to do Mm -hmm. so you know tell me about your idea who are you going to be dealing with who will Mm -hmm. your customers be Mm -hmm. do you have a good or a service is it Mm -hmm. a mixture Mm -hmm. so we need to understand what your your concept is to begin with that's probably the most uh, critical part Mm -hmm. and then once we've got that then we start looking at the things like okay so Do you think you will grow? So again, Mm -hmm. do you need a number of visas? Will you have a lot of staff? Mm -hmm. Do you um, need a a large office? Mm. So all of these factors, you start... Um, building sort of a, a picture of mm. what will be the best option for you, or what are the options for you? Mm-hmm. At mm. the you know when you start, there's more than fifty free zones to choose from in the UAE. Oh, so really? That's there's that many? There's a lot. Everywhere you look, there seems yeah. to be another you know, free zone wow, popping up. Okay. So that's why there's a lot of choice, and that's just in the free zones. That's not including the onshore licensing mm. available, mm-hmm. um, and the the regulations change quite frequently. So mm. we've always got to keep up to date on what options are available Mm -hmm. so for us that's part of what we do and what we bring to the clients Mm -hmm. but these are the sorts of questions that we have to start with Mm -hmm. and then after that it's things like who will your customers be where are they located Mm -hmm. so again getting back to that free zone onshore discussion Mm -hmm. if you're looking at dealing with governments then you're leaning towards the onshore Mm -hmm. right Um, what is your budget what's your time frame so occasionally we have a client coming to us saying we're in such a hurry we've just won a contract And we don't have a company. Mm. So we need it as... fast as you possibly can Mm. budget's not the issue now Mm. location's not the issue time's the issue Mm. Mm -hmm. so we always need to find out what's important to the client Mm -hmm. not what we want to sell them yeah you know uh, that's and that's uh, when you started out saying we're not affiliated with any free zones etc that's why for us we're very independent with this Mm. we'll Mm -hmm. choose what we think's best because we don't get huge discounts from this free zone or that free zone Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to try and push people in a certain way Okay. So, that's where we get to give
0: a, an independent view on what we thinks best. Okay. Speaking of timeframes, um, could you tell us the difference in the timeframes between, like, say, for example, free zone versus onshore? Okay. How long does it take, like, company setup usually?
2: So, a free zone, the fastest we've ever done was uh, about two days. Okay. So, we've we've been able to do it quite quickly. Mm. On average, the fastest we can do nowadays, with slight changes in regulation, is around three to four days from application to happy client with a trade license. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that's on the, the fast end. On the slower end, you could see an unregulated company up to maybe six weeks for some of the Dubai free zones. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, which, obviously, if you want a Dubai-based location, that's what you'll have to to put up with okay. okay um but if you then look at say regulated entities if mm-hmm. you want to be a, a fund manager or something like this obviously it's much more costly but mm-hmm. this could take six to 12 months mm-hmm. if you're well, looking at a DIFC regulated license okay wow yeah DIFC
0: regulated license yeah
2: Who so that's yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically anything to do with money so, okay. if you're looking at, say, uh, taking clients' money and investing in a fund, mm. uh, creating okay. your
0: own fund, that sort okay. of thing. So, a complicated… Uh, where, where you're uh, there a custodian. A yes. If you're ever taking custodian.
2: money from someone and doing something with it, yeah. then there's a lot of regulation that comes ah, okay. behind that. Okay. Right. So, if you're looking back across to the onshore, you could sometimes have an onshore company set up in maybe three days, if okay. it's quite straightforward. Okay. If they're individual shareholders, it's actually quite fast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you have something that maybe requires more than just a Dubai economy uh, approval, such as maybe it's a KHDA, so mm-hmm. it's a training type company, mm-hmm. then that can take a lot longer because you need more government approvals.
1: Okay. Okay. So okay.
2: The, the time can depend on the complexity of the service you're offering. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you want to set up an architect or an engineer's firm, you'll probably need to buy
0: municipality approval okay so that just is another Additional level layers yeah absolutely yeah. i remember yeah. we were like thinking of opening up a restaurant a while ago and then when we actually lo- started looking into all the different uh regulations then you know there's uh compliance with the structure mm-hmm. you have to uh, like yeah you, uh, have to you have to, uh, yeah you have to do fit out approvals you have to yeah you have to do fit out approvals you got to show your space your plan proposal it's like least three to four months before you can
2: absolutely it can yeah. be a, it can be a lot longer than people think yeah having yeah. said that though i mean i've set up companies all around the world now and often it's a different level of complexity but it still takes a long time in other mm. places yeah too. yeah mm. now in australia for instance you can easily buy a company on the internet you know a few hundred dollars later you have a company mm. and you're really? ready to go yeah absolutely it's <laughs> it's quite easy and quite cheap that's okay. awesome um and, th- well, it's it's a bit difficult is then it? when I have Australians come here and say, so tell me about the cost and tell me about the time. And I'm like, well, I hope you're sitting down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So, Let's manage yeah. your expectations a yeah, little bit. Exactly. Yeah,
2: So, uh, I guess probably one of the things that um, people have a an ex- differing expectation on is the banking. Mm. that seems to be a bit of a, a sticking point at the moment for this market especially yeah,
1: yeah about that <laughs> um so this is a show about real talk so and you know we think that the ecosystem is really growing and developing but the fact that you want to set up a bank account with a leading bank over here i'm not going to name names
0: a corporate bank account a,
1: a corporate bank account and you have to have a minimum of 50,000 dirhams in your bank uh, as the holding balance. Mm. And I find that crazy. If you're a startup, they don't really, really uh, top-notch banks don't have a provision for a startup business. Like, that's 50,000 that you have to keep in your bank, which you could be spending on marketing and promoting your business. Or setting up your business. So it's blocked funds, which...
2: Well, there's there's minimum balance and then there's minimum balance. I mean, so no,
0: yeah, that's yeah. not. If you're below that, you will be paying a fee to the bank. Yeah, which but is ridiculous. I mean, yeah, well, that's the, that's the regulation. Yeah. But yeah, banking over here in general is not. It's it's not. Super it's not startup, startup friendly.
1: friendly at all.
0: They they don't seem to
2: have found a way to find a banking product that is supportive of the the startup uh, you know uh, really arena. Sure. <laughs> uh it's it's difficult um i mean most yeah. banks will say probably between 20 and 50 is the minimum opening balance yeah. now if most people had that much money then they They're not really worried about starting up again, you yeah know? they've already um got enough cash, yeah, it so impacts
1: my runway if that's blocked funds, you mm. know, sure, yeah, you can put less than that and you can pay a fee, but it just seems a little. yeah,
0: I, I think they do it because uh, banks have a certain amount of uh, workload. For a corporate bank account versus a private bank account, mm. and they have certain regulations uh-huh. that they need to report to to the government. So they, for them, they this is how they weed out the people who they don't want to have. Like they, they're like, okay, if you have fifty thousand rooms, you can come and bank with us. Otherwise, okay, you it
2: does cost the bank money to have the account open, but not know? that much. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how much I'm it costs, but it does cost. I'm really yeah.
1: hoping some serious people in banks are listening and are going to do something about it a startup
0: friendly corporate account that's yes, a startup please. idea right there yes <laughs> please yeah yeah Push. so um yeah. speaking of cost um yeah. you're talking about cost so what is the average cost for like setting up in a free zone versus setting up in mainland like
1: we know that that range is quite varied, i know it, is range but it does, but it does. But give us a ballpark
0: so And this is the
2: tricky one. People say to me, I get an email saying, Dear Sir, how much is a company to set up in the UAE? Right. Well, anywhere from not much to an awful lot. I Mm. mean, the cheapest government fees that you can probably get for a reasonable free zone at the moment with no visas are around the 11,000 dirham mark. No visa. With no visas and no service fees and no Mm. one helping. Mm. Mm -hmm. So realistically, if you want Decent service provider to help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at probably closer to twenty thousand dirham. Mm. Yeah. And if you want a visa on top of that, now we've got an e-channel. Um, there's a deposit with the visa. Mm. Yeah. So there's, ordinarily, it'll probably set back a, a startup maybe up to forty thousand dirham oh, to yeah. to get just one visa and a company set up.
0: Okay. yeah that that's including the insurance and the, all the government fees. well no no
2: insurance but um yeah government fees yeah. um you know it, it just does cost yeah and unfortunately when you see these adverts for you know set your company up for a few thousand durham etc uh, there's no chance mm. that mm-hmm. people yeah. have it's it's clickbait people mm-hmm. are just putting a small price out there and then often what happens is they've signed the agreement and then later on they find out oh
0: didn't hear about this fee and this fee and this fee mm. right. and the fees just keep coming. Okay. So, so realistically for year one, if you're a single visa with a license and a free zone, you're going to be expecting to pay between 30 to 40,000 dirhams,
2: right? More than likely, yes. Yeah. Okay. So okay. for an onshore company, the license normally starts around 12 to 15,000 Okay. So that's government fees. But then you do have a few requirements such as you need your local sponsor, Mm-hmm. So that can cost for an individual maybe between ten and fifteen thousand dirham. Okay. okay, and then if you're looking for a corporate nominee, it could be twenty to forever. Um, okay, it okay. could be a lot more. Okay, um, but one of the other costs you need to factor into that is you also need an onshore office. So you need yeah, an Ajari yeah. or a lease from an onshore office, mm-hmm. which can be costly as well, depending on your location. So True. Um, Again, for an onshore, the, the costs then can start clocking up to, you know, 30, 40,
0: 50,000 dirham. Mm. Um, yeah, because you need to pay rent for an office. Yeah, for yeah, and absolutely. usually the rent structure in Dubai is at least a year. Yeah. You pay a year in advance then uh, then t- then the
1: maybe in like two checks or something
0: yeah maybe but still you need to kind of mm. have that cash ready um, then you need to pay for the visas and you need to pay for your company setup and your sponsor so yeah. all that probably Sixty seven thousand. Them, right?
2: And that's not even looking at uh, visas yet. You know, and mm. then uh, you've yeah. got visa costs. If you're an onshore company, you need to give medical insurance mm. to your
0: employees. Mm. Yeah. So there's. I think free zone employees too, right? It's um, mandated now.
2: for For some, yes. Okay. Um, for some, no. Investors okay. still don't need it. so oh, really? Yeah, uh, investors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but employees okay. do, yeah. Most, uh, I think, most good uh, bosses would be giving it. Yeah. Okay. One okay. way or okay. another. <laughs> yeah
1: so it's expensive to set up a business <laughs> in dubai True. in the uae yeah yeah okay it is
2: but when you look at the market that you have here if you have the right uh, business idea i mm. mean you look at yeah. uh, you know donna benton who set up the entertainer mm-hmm. yeah you know 10 years later and she walks away with over 100 million dollars did
1: it get yeah. acquired
0: yeah, yeah
2: absolutely
1: who yeah. acquired entertainer
0: I don't know who acquired it, but they did get acquired, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was over 100 million.
2: Yeah, it was over 100 million, so 10 years' worth of hard blood sweat and tears Yeah. so it can pay off Has yeah. it,
0: was it only 10 years I think it's yeah. been longer than that
2: I Think. well I think I read 10 years but that was okay. a while ago when this happened so, okay. Uh, okay. so um,
0: I know that she released her app like 6 years or 7 mm-hmm. years ago which is when they really took off absolutely yeah. before that they were uh, the carting books. that old book around book yeah. leaving yeah. it in the car but it was yeah. super popular yeah. Yeah. absolutely Yeah. yeah in I, the know book people, form.
1: I know people who left the book in their car because they're like yeah. oh if you randomly like think of a place brilliant idea mm-hmm. Yeah. but
0: so much better to have the app App, yeah exactly
1: yeah, yeah. no we're fans of the product <laughs> yeah. um but the thing is that everywhere that you read about entrepreneurship or or whatever people endorse about being an entrepreneur is like take risks and be prepared to fail and pivot and things like that but you don't really have that much appetite to take risks and fail when the costs set up are so high mm. when your cash flow and your runway your runway doesn't seem that long because of all these initial costs that you're setting up uh, that that's required to just set up so what do people do in a situation like that like <laughs> it's <laughs> it's tricky
2: it's a catch-22 um it, it probably does stifle innovation having such a, a high
0: cost or a market entry yeah, cost for people it's a big I barrier think, to entry. but i think that's what the free zones were designed for you know it's like absolutely yeah so um a lot of these incubators the free zones they're designed so that the the cost of uh incorporating is low and you can get a visa quickly and you can incorporate within two three days and you can do it's it it's
1: lower but it's not low i mean, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, mean
0: uh, I, I i don't think it's especially expensive in dubai compared to anywhere yeah, else. yeah
1: so that's the thing i don't have a frame of reference you're saying that anywhere else in the world it probably takes about the same amount of time except for australia but in terms of costs it's you think it's about the same as well so in australia
2: business? you could get a company i think oh, geez I, I got a company about 20 years ago and <laughs> it was about i think 5 or 600 dollars then and i think it's probably about the same now well, so in durhams that's probably 1500 durham yeah. Wow, okay. So, And that's and do you a company find more startups done.
1: coming out of, yeah, I guess, more startups, uh, it's more startup-friendly in Australia?
2: Oh, I haven't lived there for a while. Um, okay. look, from it, what do you hear from, from people from back a, home? From, cost, from a cost perspective for something like this, yes. Mm. And because it's a different model where if you set a company up in Australia, if you want to be a tech company today and an accounting or a bookkeeping company tomorrow and then mm. a lawnmower company the day after, You can do all of that. Mm -hmm. Versus Mm -hmm. here, once you pick your activities on your trade license, they're the activities you have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you want to change something, then it costs a lot of money to change it. So So
1: it's a pain if you decide to pivot. It makes it It difficult to expand
2: people's services to try and bring in additional revenue. Okay. So, And again, that comes back to planning carefully at the start, making Mm. sure that you pick the best activities so you've got – The potential to grow into those activities. Maybe you don't need them today, Mm -hmm. but maybe in the future you actually look at it and you think to yourself, well, we could head down this path and grow into something. We might partner with someone Mm -hmm. so we could try and get additional revenue Mm -hmm. and we won't need to spend that money and modify or amend our license. Or get another one. Yeah, exactly. Or get get another one, which (laughs) could end up costly if uh, that happens.
1: Yeah. Um, So what happens in the case of crowdfunding? So if I have an idea and I kind of want, I want to uh, put it up on a platform. I don't know what the crowd. What's the kickstart of the Middle East? Uh,
0: I forgot the name of it. Yeah. Um, what's That's the question anyway?
1: The question is how does it work <laughs> with the crowdfunding model? Like so,
0: you set up your company and then you ask for crowdfunding.
1: It doesn't. It there's there's no. you've got to be
0: very careful when you're raising
2: anything from anyone so if you're effectively crowdfunding is a form of donation Mm. Mm -hmm. so you've got to be very careful if you want to set up a charity for instance or you want to raise funds for some cause you need a charitable license and they're Mm. quite strict on uh, getting such a thing so crowdfunding i think you would need to be very careful um approaching it from a a, a greenfield perspective if you're using yeah. something that's already established and licensed probably okay okay mm-hmm. but I would be very wary of uh, just heading out to market and trying to raise funds for mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. Um, without being licensed
1: I guess I'm just looking for a way for people to validate the idea without having invested a huge sum of money
0: and no, you can validate an idea just by uh, talking to people. Not talk, uh, You can talk to people, you can run a couple of Facebook ads and see what kind of response you get to a website. I mean, there's nothing illegal about that. Mm. So, that you can, so you can still validate your idea mm-hmm. without actually incorporating mm. or having any money at all. Like, it's not required. Mm.
2: Well, I would certainly
0: hope that people would um,
2: validate their idea before they get near incorporation. I mean, yeah. it's it's quite an outlay of money if you haven't thought that far down the path and said, mm. I've got a great idea. I wonder if anyone else thinks
0: it's a great mm. idea. Yeah. yeah. That, um, yeah. I that guess could be you have an
1: MVP without having incorporated. Yeah. 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 You
0: can definitely... I don't think there's anything illegal about setting up a website and collecting email addresses based on an uh, idea. Mm-hmm. Is there... Uh, good question. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I, I think my email address has been collected
2: a few places. I get a lot of spam.
0: <laughs> I, I wouldn't imagine that would require incorporation. Yeah. As long as there's no money being traded, I do yeah, so. yeah. I think okay. something else people can do too
2: is there seems to be, whilst people sort of say that funding might be hard to come across, mm. there seems to be a, a good number of people in this market that are willing to take a, a risk and try something new. So, we, we've run into quite a few investors more recently who are actually asking, bring us new ideas. Oh, okay. so you should which, tell them
1: about our Which business. is quite refreshing.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. But it's actually refreshing
0: because these guys are saying, look, we want to hear about the new things um, and we want to try. And yeah, I think, uh, I think what's happened is uh, we've had a few successes recently, Zook being acquired by Amazon, Kareem's valuation with Uber, so uh, I think a lot more people are getting switched on to the idea of startups. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, those you know, were sort of me-too products, which
2: was interesting that they were so successful. But yeah. then what if you actually bring in a, a new product that's very disruptive to a market? Yeah, And I think that's what a lot of the investors are now looking at saying, uh, if you've already spent the money or are looking for the money for the incorporation, then if anyone's willing to back you on that, they're quite serious. Okay. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they've that's, got that's good. money so that's to awesome. sort of push behind and help grow.
1: Okay. So investors aren't looking for uh, products that have been successful in other markets. They're looking for something really, really new. So their I appetite think for risk is more.
2: I think that. That is a, a change that we've seen uh, over the, the last few years okay. where awesome. people were previously just looking for the blue chip, you know, construction, real estate, mm. typical mm-hmm. type industries, mm. whereas people now are looking a little bit further abroad um, at f- to things that will disrupt markets. Mm. Uh, and awesome. We're seeing that quite a bit, especially okay. in the tech space.
1: Um, we actually had uh, Shane Shin from Shuruk Investments on, on the show. And we asked him which uh, startups they've invested in. And he mentioned Sarwa, which is a robo-advisory financial firm. And he said that these two guys came up with this amazing idea. And the reason we backed them, because they were really on top of regulations. Mm-hmm. Because and it's they finan- managed to
0: get a, c- a certification from the government saying they're allowed to do robo-advisory. They're the first to do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, the, and even though they didn't have a working...
1: They didn't. They didn't have an MVP. Nothing. They, yeah, they, but they were on top of the regulations, and it was a new product. So yeah. uh, that's why Shuruk Investments was really interested in them, mm-hmm. and it has turned out to be a really good success story as well. So if you're cre- if you have investors looking for something truly disruptive, and if you have startups that are hungry to really disrupt the market, but there's nothing covered in regulations, what
2: do you do? That's where. It, gets uh, it is a little tricky. I mean, this, what we do in that instance is we have good relationships with different government departments. Mm. Mm-hmm. So basically we can sit down and literally have a coffee with them and explain what we're trying to do and say, look, we've looked at this activity and this activity. It's kind of like it but not exactly. We need something that will fit. And sometimes they'll say, do you know what? We're, hap- we're quite comfortable if you choose this. We're we're good. Or even sometimes they'll say, do you know what? This doesn't actually fit in these. So, yes, maybe we do need to try and create something new. So, the activities do change. They always need to. Mm. I mean, you look at all of the different tech-type activities that have come up over the last sort of few years. Mm. They need to keep adapting and growing and Mm. uh, making amendments to them. Mm. But they also don't want to open a floodgate Uh, not understanding what the ramifications will be. And I think cryptocurrency is a very good example Mm. of that where everyone wants to be at the forefront of technology Mm. but everyone is also a little wary of being that first one Mm. uh, to to really dip their toe in the water with this and Mm. crypto is one where people are still a little bit wary of where it will end up
1: well the government is planning to launch their own cryptocurrency no?
2: exactly and that's the thing where it that's a bit different where the government's got control over something like that versus Mm. an individual just turns up and says i've got a new currency kind of like bitcoin yeah not really Mm. um trust me and buy some. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if they open the floodgates like that, I think it would be a real problem. So or
0: even being a Bitcoin uh, payment acceptor. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for example, I want to pay you with Bitcoin and you want to pay me with Bitcoin. How does the government, uh, you know, calculate VAT on that? Yeah. Or, you know, there's other regulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think every government and every place where there are startups innovating on business models, face this issue. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not only uh, this country, even in the US, for example, mm. like Lime is one of the, uh, you know, those, those electric scooters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're one of the fastest growing startups. Uh, not Lime, I think it was the other one. But I remember it, it's a fa- it was one of the fastest growing startups that uh, that reached an $8 billion valuation in like eight months or something. Like that. It was insane. Well, mm. I might be misquoting that. It might be $2 billion in eight months, something like that. But it was one of the fastest growing startups. But then the city started Uh, protesting because they were like all these bikes are being left everywhere Mm. Um, you know like uh, it's a hazard Um, you know they're getting stolen Uh, it's creating crime so um, I mean stuff like this happens everywhere, right? Yeah. So, so governments yeah. are always trying to keep up with innovation. and, and We mm-hmm. saw
2: this in downtown, um, I guess, in the last year, where suddenly it went from no scooters to scooters everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And everywhere you walked, there was just a scooter sitting there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all the scooters are gone again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously there was and a I change in regulation. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Sooner or later. Yeah. Um, but when you look at that, and you see some people really whizzing down the road fast, yeah. and you yeah. think to yourself... I'm not sure that looks that safe. safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you've got to, I guess, balance. You know, wanting to be at the forefront with safety, with yeah. um, protecting the public, especially with something like crypto. The protection of the public is very important. Mm-hmm. 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 So uh, I think it's a real balancing act. Where yeah. w- which is the right way? Mm-hmm. It's hard.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right, guys, on that note, uh, we'll wind up this podcast. But before we end, do you have any advice for any new founders uh, who might be listening to this uh, conversation?
1: Aside from coming to Creation Business Consultants.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely the number one piece of advice. My my advice would
2: be, if you have a good idea, Mm -hmm. absolutely give it a go. You Mm -hmm. know, um, what's that saying? You know, you've missed 100% of the shots you never took, Mm -hmm. Wayne Gretzky. Mm -hmm. Um, So, there's that. There's talk to other people, talk to other entrepreneurs, people who've experienced it, Mm -hmm. um, people who were thinking about it, people who've maybe tried and failed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then speak to other people who can maybe mentor. And I think that's very important. Finding professionals that have skills and experience that they can help. And you'd be surprised at how many people actually want to help. Mm. you know all you have to do is ask and what's the worst they say no find someone else but the number of um, more seasoned professionals out there that would be willing to give an hour here and there have a quick coffee and uh, you know give some pointers and advice it's Mm. incredible Mm. or come on a podcast Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah
0: all right guys so on that note uh, thank you scott for being here it's been a pleasure we'll have links in the description you can go check out uh scott's company and uh, get advice about uh how to start up your business mm-hmm. uh in the middle east uh this podcast is available on all the podcast platforms so if you're listening to us on a podcast please make sure you review it leave us a five-star rating it really helps us out it helps other people find our podcast as well so uh thanks for doing that uh if you're watching us on youtube Hit that like button, subscribe. We keep posting uh, these uh, podcasts every couple of weeks. I think uh, that's pretty much it.
1: Yep. Keep on hustling.
0: All right.
2: <laughs> Cheers.